All right, good morning. My name is Nate, one of the pastors here, and I would invite you to open up your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. And if you have one of our Bibles, it is on page 1100, 1100. If you don't own a Bible or you need a, a, need a new one, please take one of our Bibles with you. This is our gift to you. But we're going to be camping out for a few minutes in Titus 2, and then we're going to move to a few other passages. And so we've been walking through this series. It's really a, it's a national drive, a national push brought on by the Southern Baptists to encourage everybody in every church to share the gospel. And it starts with you just simply picking somebody that you know, that you recognize that they do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you begin to pray for that person in hopes that God would open up opportunities to invite them to, to church and ultimately share the gospel with them. And so if you haven't yet chosen your one, there are some journals, some prayer journals in the lobby, and in those prayer journals there's a, a, a bookmark with a card on it, and I would encourage you to write down your person's name that you want to begin to commit to pray for, and give me that card, and I will commit to praying for them also. And so if you haven't done that, and also, again, I'm going to keep plugging this because it is so just well written, the prayer journal, if you haven't been doing it, Go ahead and start. It's not too late. It's just really well put together, gets you in the Word every single day, and directs you how to pray for this person. And so we've been walking through this sermon series, and in our sermon series, we've been focused on five attributes that, by cultivating them, we hope will help us to grow in our boldness and, and our, our desire to share the gospel with our, our, our one and with the world. And so we started off with, with joy, uh, because joy is an attribute if uh, it just naturally flows outward. It, it flows outward into praise. And so having our joy in Christ is going to naturally push us to share the gospel. And then last week we talked about the attribute of compassion. We talked about compassion being something that tugs at our heart towards those who are hurting, and it involves both words and deeds, that we would be compassionate people. And when we do that, we're going to share the gospel. And so today we're going to look at the attribute of hope. And it's a, it's a significant attribute. We're going to take a look at what it is, what fruits come from the attribute of hope, and how do we cultivate it in our hearts? How do we grow in hope? And so let me pray one more time, and then we're going to, we're going to dig into this passage. Father, I recognize that apart from your Spirit right now working in our hearts, there is no hope. And hope will not grow. My words are not enough. We need your Word and your Spirit to invade our hearts. And so I plead with you now, fill us with your Spirit that we might eagerly anticipate the promises that you have given us in your word today. And it would cause us a great amount of hope, no matter what our situation is. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in Titus 2, we're going to see really what hope is. But before we even get to that passage, you need to know what hope is not. Because often when we talk about hope, we, we've got total wrong idea. 
Because when the world talks about hope, the world is talking usually about just simply like wishful thinking. Like, I, I hope that Louisville beats Kentucky in, in basketball this year. Is it wishful thinking, right? Uh, or, or I hope that I get an A on that test, even though I, I haven't studied at all. Or, or I, I hope that the preacher doesn't preach too long today. Wishful thinking, all of those things. But that's typically how we use the word hope. But that's not biblical hope. And so let's take a look at this passage and talk more about what, what the Bible means by hope, what God wants us to think about when we think about hope. And so the context of this passage is the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a, a church leader, Titus. And Titus is on this island called Crete. It's in the middle of the Mediterranean. And Paul charges him to organize the church. He says, go ahead and get some leaders in place, get some elders in place. He tells them what these elders should look like and what they should, how they should behave, what their characteristics should be like. And then he says, look, you need to be watchful because there's going to be false teachers that are coming at you, and so you need to preach sound doctrine. That we, that's what we see in verse 1 of chapter 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then it's interesting because he goes from that statement to a series of teachings on how you need to address different people within your congregation, the old women and the young women, the old men, the young, the young men, and the, the, the bond servants. And, and so he basically covers the whole church, and he gives them specific directions on how to live. And I think what Paul is getting at is that, look, your doctrine, what you believe about God and about the Bible should impact your everyday life and how you live. And that's significant. And so that's the backdrop of verse 11, which is where we're going to start today. And in verse 11, he goes and he says, okay, this is why you ought to live this way. This is the theology behind why you ought to live this way. And so first 10 verses, this is how you ought to live. And now we pick up in verse 11. Okay, so live this way for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Now, when he says all people, he's not saying literally everybody's going to heaven, okay? You have to trust in Christ to go to heaven. He's saying all kinds of people, both Gentiles and Jews, and that was a big deal back then, especially if, if you were a Jew because you thought you were, you were God's chosen people, only, God only loved you, and so he's saying, look, God's grace has appeared in bringing salvation to all kinds of people. Verse 12, training us. So Jesus came, appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness, so walk away from sin and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And so he's saying, look, we saw God's grace in the form of Jesus Christ. A person, grace is a person that came. So I saw, we saw Jesus Christ, he came, he appeared, and he taught us, he brought salvation to us, and he taught us or trained us how to live right now in this present age, but in light of the future. Look at verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, there's the word hope, underline that if you underline things in your Bible, blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness or sin 
and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so the same Jesus who came, he's saying, is going to come back. The first time it was the display of God's grace when he died on the cross. The second appearance when he comes back will be in glory. The first appearance was grace. The second appearance will be an appearance of glory. So God, Jesus, will come again in glory, it says. And so this is the object of our our hope, that one day Jesus Christ will come back. He's promised that. Now, there's two things that I want to point out about hope that we learned from this passage, and we're going to talk more about Christ's return here in a minute. But the first thing that I want you to notice is that hope is always built on faith. Okay, there's a difference between... Hope and faith are connected, but there's a difference between hope and faith. Hope is built on faith. So biblical faith is this. It's not simply believing in something you can't see. A lot of times you think of faith, that's what you think of. But even the the demons believe in God. Okay, it's more... So biblical faith, faith that actually saves you, is it's, it's having confidence, a, a complete trust or confidence in something. And so it includes both knowledge or understanding, but it also, it's a sincere trust in those facts. Okay, so it's an understanding of the facts, but a sincere trust in those facts. And so in this passage, Paul's hope is built on his faith that Jesus Christ gave himself to redeem us. He paid for our sins, and he promises to return. So his faith is in his word, in his promise. And so the second thing I want you to notice about hope from this passage, the first one is hope is built on faith. The second thing is we see in this passage that hope is the eager anticipation that comes from believing those facts. That's what hope is. It's the eager anticipation of what that comes with believing those facts. And so they were waiting for the blessed hope, the appearance of Jesus in all of his glory. So hope is a confident expectation that naturally flows out of faith. The more faith you have, the more hope you're going to have. It's, a, it's an assurance that there's a future blessing coming your way. Hope is the certainty that you have in the promises of God. And so let me try to illustrate the difference between hope and faith. And so we've got some kids in here. Uh, So if your parents told you that tomorrow we're going to Disney World, pretend, how would you react? (laughs) You're joking. What? (laughs) Surprised. Excited. So, okay, so faith... Your faith is your trust in your parents' words, okay? That's the faith. You jumping up and down with joy, that's an expression of your hope. That's the eager anticipation that bubbles up out of your faith. So that's the difference between faith and hope. And so in this passage, Paul is saying the reason we ought to live righteous lives, the reason we ought to obey God is because we fully trust in Jesus who came and he redeemed us by dying on the cross and rising from the grave. And so he's proven himself in the past. He's proven his faithfulness like we talked about in cross training earlier today. Story after story in the Bible is Jesus showing that he fulfills his promises. And so he's proven himself over and over 
in the Gospels. And so we can trust that when he promises that he's going to come back, we can bank on it. And we can put our hope in that. And so faith is an eager anticipation of what's coming because we know that he's proven. He's proven his faithfulness to us. And so my question to you is, how often do you think about Christ's return? I think if we're honest, most of us, that's not, that's not like our default thought. But it is something that we should be thinking about often because it's what's going to drive our hope. I think this is why in Thessalonians, Paul encourages the church to remind one another of this often. The, the early church would go around saying, Maranatha, is what they would say to one another, that encouraging each other that like, Christ is going to come back, is, is what that means. Have hope in Him. And as I studied hope this week, I was blown away at how often the Bible talks about the fruit that comes from hope. It's all over the place. In fact, we don't have time today to, to cover every single passage that talks about the fruit of, of hope and how powerful it is. I mean, it's a blessed hope it talks about in this passage. It's a glorious hope. And what I want you to see more than anything today, it's powerful. Not powerful to make you rich and, and wealthy and healthy right now. In fact, it's way better than that. And so we're going to take a look at a number of passages. It's going to be kind of like Bible drill. If you've got a bulletin, you can, you can see in there the passages that we're going to be covering as we ask and we wrestle with the question, okay, what fruit comes from hope? And the first one, if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. The first fruit that we're going to take a look at that comes from hope is, is joy and peace. Lump those together because Paul lumps them together in this passage in Romans chapter 5. This is a natural fruit that comes from hope, joy and peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Though through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so when you have hope, it naturally brings about a joy that's inside of you, okay? Just like we talked about a minute ago, if, you're, if your parents tell you that you're going to Disney World tomorrow, instantly, almost, a joy is going to bubble up inside of you. And that's what happens as hope grows in us. There's joy that is produced. In fact, uh, and, and remember, joy flows out into what? Praise. Joy always flows outward into praise. The, the word here for rejoice in this passage can also be translated as boast. And so we boast in hope of the glory of God. Hebrews 3, 6, very similar. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, in other words, we are his family, if indeed we hold fast our confidence or our faith and our boasting in our hope. And so one of the marks of being part of God's family is that we have a joyful boasting, not in ourselves, but in what Christ has promised us. There's a boasting in our hope. This is 
David in the Psalms over and over, Psalm 74, for example, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. And so hope brings a joyful boasting in us. It's very powerful. It's that, that, that joy that, and that peace that surpasses all understanding. No matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what you're going through, hope has the power to not just help you to endure, but to actually give you a joy even in the midst of it, no matter what you're going through right now. Not only that, look at the next verse, Romans 5, 3. Uh, number two is honor. A fruit of hope is honor. Ro- Romans three, or I'm sorry, Romans five verses three through five. Paul says, "Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us." And so this is the path that we're on. If you're a believer, this is the path that you're on. We start off, and honestly, our our lives are filled with a lot of shame, okay? And shame is, I mean, you feel feel naked, embarrassed, ugly, broken, without value. But then when God opens up our hearts to see the significance of who Christ is and hope is sparked inside of us and we mature and we grow in our character, our hope grows and that shame begins to melt away as we embrace the promises of God. And so instead of feeling shame, we begin to feel honor because we recognize that we're counted as righteous and we're now God's children. That's how he views us as his children. Instead of feeling shame, we feel radiant because we're the bride of Christ. When our hearts are filled by the Spirit and captivated by by God's love for us, there's no room for shame. Let me ask you a question, personal question. Let's, let's, Let's just, you and I have a conversation, just like nobody else is in the room, okay? Just one on one, I want to ask you this question. If Christ came back today, and you had to stand before him and give an account for your life, how do you feel like it would go? If Christ came back today and you had to give an account, how do you feel like that would go for you? So I asked one of my kids this question this week, and uh, they gave a real honest response to me. They, they said, you know, Dad, I, I, don't, I don't know that it would go very well. I don't know that God would be very pleased with my, my life right now. I don't even know if he would accept me into heaven. And so I, I asked them, well, why do you think that? And they said, well, it's because I, I don't find myself very focused on, on Jesus. I, 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 don't have a, I don't feel like I, I love him enough. I've got all these other things. And he actually used the word idols. I've got these idols in my life that tend to captivate my attention. And so I asked him, okay, so how good do you think you have to be? How much love do you have to have for Jesus, do you think? Like, where's the line? Where do you draw the line before he accepts you in, into heaven? 
and, and he's been raised in church his whole life, and so he knows, and he kind of smiled and thought for a minute. He says, like, I, I know that I'm, I'm saved, that, that that would be by works, that I'm, I'm saved by, by faith alone through God's grace. And, and so he, he went on to say that, though, I, like, I know that in my head, but in my heart, I really struggle believing that God would accept me because I'm just so, so sinful. And so I, I said to him, let me try to encourage you with this. Well, first I asked, like, do you believe that Jesus, what he did for you on the cross, rising from the grave, do you believe that he paid for your sins and he, that, that you stand forgiven because of that? And that's when he responded. like, I know that in my head, but in my heart I really struggle with that. And so this is how he responded to him. I said, said, okay, this is how I think it's going to, if you're a believer on that day, if you stand before God and you have to give an account, this is what I think it will be like. And I, I brought up Oprah Winfrey. He had no idea who that is. And, and that kind of dates me, okay? And I would, I would not advise you following Oprah Winfrey's uh, theology, heretical. But if you remember, if you're older like me, and you remember, uh, she was really well known for these, these shows that she would give away enormous prizes, uh, these huge giveaways. Like, like there was this one time, and you, if you, you can go YouTube this if you want to see it, but she, uh, she had given out several cars, and she was like, okay, I want to give out one more car to somebody in the audience, and of course the audience goes crazy, yeah! And she has uh, these people bring out these little wrapped boxes for everybody. And she says, okay, and one of these wrapped boxes is a key for a car that is right outside. Some of you remember this? Has anybody remember this one? Okay, you do, okay. And, and so uh, she says, don't open them, don't open them. And she says, on the count of three, go ahead and open them. And so she says, one, two, three, and they all open them. And every one of them had a key in the box. And she's like, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, and everybody gets a car. This is what I think it's going to be like on, on that day when you're in front of Christ and you have to give an account for your life. He's going to look at your whole life from beginning to end and he's going to say, and that sin is forgiven, and that sin is forgiven, and that sin is forgiven. And, that, and you're going to be just, are you kidding me? That one too? And that one? You're, no way. And my son thought about it for a minute after I shared that with him. I wasn't as, as exuberant with him when I shared it the first time, but uh, he thought about it, and I, I could see, and, and extremely sincere, he said, I, I don't know that I've ever felt this much relief in my life, but that's what hope does. That's the power of hope. It takes away shame completely, and it gives you honor, and not only that, gives you purity. Because here's the thing, having that relief doesn't cause you just to want to live however you want to live and, and, and just live in sin. It, want, it, it motivates you to want to live for Christ and to obey Him. And so we see that. Number three is purity. 1 John 3, 2 and 3, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but, what, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself 
as he is pure. And so John points out that the hope that we have is not just simply that Christ is going to come back and we're going to see him face to face, which is awesome in itself, but it's the reality that he has promised that one day when we see him, we will actually become like him. No more sin, no more shame, all of it melted away, gone. We will be like him. We will see him in his glory. And the closer you get to the glory of Christ, the more you're like him. And so even now, we ought to live in such a way to prepare ourselves to see him face to face. If you were going to see somebody, if you knew you were going to see somebody tomorrow that you highly respected, you would prepare for it. You might go get a haircut. You'd probably dress up. You'd be on your best behavior, but you would prepare for it. And so that's what hope does. It helps us purify and motivates us to live pure and holy lives. Number four, another fruit of hope is patience. Romans 8, 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so patience literally means long-suffering. Okay, did you know that that's the definition of patience? It's being able to suffer well. And so God never promises your best life now. Uh, He never promises healing now. He doesn't promise health and wealth now. In fact, what he does promise now is suffering which is why we need hope. And hope gives us patience and endurance. But it's all, it also comforts us. Number, number five is comfort. And this is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. This is one of my favorite passages. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, about those who have died, that are Christians who have died, those believers who have died, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. And he goes on to paint a picture of Christ's return and the rapture. And this is where he encourages Christians to encourage one another with these words. And I want you to notice in that passage that Christians, even those that are filled with hope, they still grieve. I mean, Jesus wept when his friend Lazarus died. There are times when life doesn't go the way we anticipated it to go or the way we wanted it to go, or maybe you lose a loved one, and it's right for you to weep and to grieve. But what hope does is causes us to grieve differently. Uh, The grief doesn't turn to despair. It doesn't last forever. And so when we pray for our loved ones who are in Christ to be healed... We can have confidence that God will answer that prayer, even whether it's in this life or the next. There will be a day that they have no more pain. I think it's in those moments of grief, it's, it's good for us to cry out to God. And, and I think it's good for us to, those are the moments where you've got to preach the gospel to yourself. Uh, that's what we see in the Psalms, 42.11. Why are you so, why are you, Uh, Cast down, O my soul. He's talking to himself. Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. If you're struggling, you're dealing with grief, 
Go to the Psalms and preach the gospel to yourself. And as we preach the gospel to ourselves, hope rises and produces comfort. And then number six, another fruit is boldness. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And so what's the hope that Paul's talking about there? This is in the context of Paul encouraging the church to have confidence in God because they, they are ministers of a new covenant. We talked about this in cross-training earlier today, too. Uh, covenants are basically God's way of DTRing. Okay, you know what a DTR, this is like a thing we did in college when we try to encourage guys to actually talk to girls and tell them how they felt. You define the relationship, okay? So God defines the relationship through covenants. A covenant is uh, an oath-bound relationship between two parties. It's kind of like a, a relational contract that's sacred, though. It means something. It's more than just a, a piece of paper. And so you can find several covenants that God makes with humans in the Bible. There's one he makes with Noah with a, with a rainbow. There's one he makes with Abraham. The most significant covenant in the Old Testament is the one that he makes with Moses and the Israelites. Often it's just referred to as the Old Covenant or the covenant of law. And in this passage, Paul wants the church to really have hope and confidence and trust in God because we're under the new covenant. The new covenant is much better. He's basically saying, look, it is good to be on this side of the cross, is what he's saying. Because the old covenant, with all of its laws and rules, uh, those laws and rules were good to help the Israelites know how to live. Uh, they are really good to help them realize they needed a Savior because they couldn't live up to Him. But in the New Testament, what we read is that uh, that law is not written on stone tablets. It's written on our hearts. That God literally is changing us from the inside out. And so Paul is saying, look, you should have covenant that we have, we have a message. When you proclaim the gospel, God is using you to change people's hearts from the inside out. That you, you are the means by which God has chosen to change people and to transfer them from death to life. And so you should have confidence because your message is empowered by the Spirit of God and He has promised to use you. And so Paul says boldness comes from this. This is why Paul could write in Romans 1, 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. And so hope removes our fear and gives us a boldness to proclaim the good news. There, there's numerous other fruits that we could talk about. Uh, in fact, I would encourage you to do a, a word search, either on the computer or if you've got a Bible app, do a, a word search on hope. That would be a great devotion for you to do this week. And just look at all the places and, and wrestle with the question, okay, what is produced because of hope? And you're going to find loads uh, of more things that we don't have time to, to cover. There is a ton of fruit that comes from our hopefulness. Hope is powerful. And so the question I want to end with is how can we grow in hopefulness? How can we cultivate that hopefulness? And so to, to answer that question, there's one passage that really hits the nail on the head. Go to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. 
And this is towards the end of the letter of Romans. Paul is the author of Romans, Romans 15.4. Paul says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And so where does hope come from? Two things it mentions, right? Number one, the encouragement of the Scriptures. And number two, endurance. Uh, Don't miss the beginning of this verse, though. Uh, Man, this is something we need to hear today. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. And so... It was written thousands of years ago, was meant for them back then, but it's also meant for us today. Our struggles are bearable because of the promises that we have in the Word of God. It's through the encouragement of the Word that we hear about the promises of God and future grace. And so when you remove yourself from God's Word, when you're not willing to open it up and study it and look at it, you're essentially turning, turning a, a deaf ear to a God who loves to give comfort and loves to give hope. So the encouragement of the scriptures help us to grow in our hope. And it makes logical sense that hope helps us to endure during the trials. We've talked about that already. But note that endurance, so hope creates endurance, but endurance also creates hope. And again, if we turn back, uh, we, we looked at this passage earlier, Romans 5, 2 through 5. I'll, I'll just read it real quick once, once again. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And, and so we've got this progression. We joy, why do you rejoice in your sufferings? Because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he's given to us. And so first, we rejoice in suffering because it produces endurance. And so apart from suffering, you don't have the opportunity to produce endurance that produces character, that produces hope. So you need to embrace suffering. So if, you're, if you want to be a good runner, you don't just stop when your body starts to hurt, okay? You're never going to be a good runner if that's, if that's the case. You have to embrace some pain if you want to be a good runner. The same is true in all of life. If you want to see hope being developed in your heart, you've got to embrace some suffering and be, go beyond what is comfortable. Let me add to this, though. If suffering simply causes you to be more self-reliant, that's not going to produce the hope that Paul is talking about here. It should make you become more God-reliant. There's a humility that has to come with it. Humility is necessary for that endurance to actually produce character. And so character is the the strength to be able to say no to what is harmful in your life and yes to those, those things in your life that are going to glorify Christ. And so if you despise suffering, you're going to struggle growing in character Because talking about character does very little, produces very little. Uh, But humble, God-reliant endurance in the midst of suffering, that's what's producing character in your life. And so parents, you need to let your kids suffer every once in a while. It's okay to let them cry every once in a while. I'm not talking about for extreme amounts of time. But when they go through that pain and suffering, that gives you an opportunity to teach them to put their hope in Christ. 
to trust in God in those moments. And that's what builds character and, and ultimate hope in their life. It's through the fire of suffering we learn to rely on God in the midst of the trial. And that's where hope is forged. God does some of his greatest work in the midst of our trials. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that. I've seen that, seen that play out in my life over and over. I've seen that play out in lives of my friends and my family. I know even in here, some of the strongest marriages are those who hit rock bottom. And instead of running, they decided to embrace the pain and the suffering and work through the trials and humbly ask for help from God and from others. And because of that, they're, they're stronger because of it. Some of the most hopeful people that I know are people that have been through the worst suffering. God uses the wilderness in our life and the, the suffering in our life to produce endurance and hope. And so don't despise suffering. Embrace it. It's an opportunity for you to grow in endurance and character and ultimately in hope. And so I want to I pray that God would help us to embrace what the Bible teaches about hope. It doesn't often come to us naturally, but man, it is so powerful. Father, we recognize that we desperately need hope in our lives, that our circumstances are way, often way too difficult for us to handle on our own. And apart from your spirit producing hope inside of us, we won't make, them, we won't make it through. And we definitely won't look outside of ourselves to share the gospel. And so we pray that your spirit would help us through the hard times, give us that peace and that joy that surpasses all understanding, produce character in us, produce hope in us, help us be, to be motivated by your word to to dig into your word, to see the promises of God. Thank you for the hope you've given us, the honor that you have given us, and I pray that we would eagerly anticipate what's to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, communion is given to us by Christ to remember what he did for us on the cross but also to look forward to a day that we will feast with him in heaven. And so I would encourage you as you take communion today that you would look forward, not just back, but look forward to the day where you will feast with God and see him face to face. And so we do this every single week. If you're a believer, if you've trusted in Christ, you've got a relationship with him, if you've fully put your hope in him, I would encourage you to join us in the celebration. If you've not, if you've never experienced the hope that we've talked about today, don't wait another day. You don't know what tomorrow holds. I'll be in the back and I would love to celebrate if God's been working on your heart and maybe for the first time you've felt that, uh, that, that peace that surpasses all understanding. You've felt that relief that knowing that one day because you've trusted in Christ, you've got nothing to worry about. There is no shame waiting you. I would love to celebrate with you. I would love to pray with you or for you if, you've, if you need prayer. I'll be in the back.
But this is a time for you to get alone with God. Maybe a time where you just need to repent and say, look, Lord, I have not placed my hope in you. I've placed my hope in all sorts of other things. And I need to place my hope in you. I would encourage you after we get done um, with communion and these boxes are for, not for visitors, but uh, for your regular tender. This is where we, we give sacrificially and joyfully. Um, but after everybody's gone through the line, there's uh, two stations up here. There's one in the back. Uh, we're going to stay and we're going to worship together because we have got, we've got a God who's given us a whole lot of hope. And so let's celebrate that together. You come as God is calling you.